You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I saw a little bit of the worst of him when he'd had too much to drink, and it made me cringe. And I remember a night uh, with me and, sorry to drop a name, me and Billy Crystal, who also grew up on Long Island and also idolized Mickey, and the three of us are sitting around, and at one point, Mickey goes, I did all this stuff, and I don't remember half of it, but you little shits remember all of it. Hey, now, what's cracking? Welcome to the Jim Rohn Podcast, and if you can't tell, I am fired up today. More so than normal. This is what tends to happen when I get to chop it up and cut it up with an actual icon on the original side hustle. And I'm talking about an icon, a living legend, a legit goat. Normally, I do not fawn over my guests. This guy, I will make an exception for because he is one of the true titans of the broadcast industry. He is the only broadcaster to be recognized with Emmy Awards in sports, news, and entertainment. He is a 28-time Emmy Award winner. He has hosted a record 11 Olympic Games on NBC Sports. He is the legendary play-by-play voice of numerous World Series, NBA Finals, and Super Bowls. He's now with MLB Network and CNN. Of course, I'm talking about the one and only Bob Costas. I could not be more thrilled to get a chance to sit down with Bob for an extended, unfiltered chat once again, and I could not be more excited to get you this conversation, so let's not waste any time at all. It is episode 293 with the iconic Bob Costas, and it's coming at you right now. Bob, it goes without saying, so I'll go ahead and say it anyway. I appreciate this relationship so much. You've always made time for our shows. How you doing, Bob? How's life right now? I'm good. Uh, You know, sometimes people uh, encounter me. They remember me from all the stuff at NBC, and they say, how's retirement? Because the things I'm doing now are not as largely visible as they used to be. But I've been on the baseball network since its inception in 2009, uh, and I continue to do things for them. Uh, and I'm a contributor at CNN when sports crosses over into news. Uh, and that's about all I really want to do now. I'm on the exit ramp, but I'm moving slowly. I like that. All right, so as long as we're talking baseball, why don't we start right there? Because baseball was our national pastime for so long. Not only mm-hmm. are you still doing that work, but your baseball, your broadcast work has been recognized by the Hall of Fame. You've written a book on MLB called Fair Ball, which, of course, details yeah. your passion for the game. Bob, since you still work as a national baseball announcer, where do you come out on the current state of the game? Obviously, it's not in financial distress overall as an industry. Otherwise, you wouldn't see the kind of contracts being handed out that we see now. And I'm not talking about Otani, who's in a category all of his own, even separate from the Bryce Harpers and the Mike Trouts and the Aaron Judges and all the rest. But we don't bat an eye when some guy who basically is at a mid-level gets a contract for $15 million, or some pitcher who's just going to eat up innings for you, but his ERA is four and a half, and he gets $10-11 million. So the game in that sense is in good shape. The problem, I don't know if you're familiar with Ethan Strauss, who writes on Substack. He used to be uh, the beat writer for the Golden State Warriors, or one of the beat writers, one of the smartest young guys around. And he posted something recently saying that the problem since we've moved away from an analog world and there's so many different options, the problem for sports like baseball 
and the NBA and the NHL is too much inventory. The NFL is inoculated from that. There's a scarcity of product, even as they've taken it to 17 regular season games. There's a scarcity of product. It comes by and large on the weekend or your team plays just once a week. So it feels special. And because they have a structure with their salary cap and their revenue sharing situation, nobody bats an eye that two of the best quarterbacks in the league are in Kansas City and in Buffalo. Whereas they can't believe, unless you're the Tampa Bay Rays, who figure out a way to do something uh, that no one else has, has quite caught up with. No one expects the Pittsburgh Pirates or the Cincinnati Reds or the Kansas City Royals to be in the sweepstakes for a big name player. Or if they develop one, they know that it's more than likely they're going to lose him when the guy becomes available for free agency. So there's an internal problem there for baseball, a competitive balance problem, which they've tried to address by expanding the playoffs. And the playoff structure has flaws in it, but at least it does give middling teams or teams that can catch lightning in a bottle a chance to get into the postseason. And as long as they have the present set up, the central division protects good teams that don't have the capacity to compete with the big money teams like the Cardinals, for example, had an off year last year. But generally speaking, they know what they're doing. If you didn't have central divisions, the Twins and the Guardians could never compete. Uh, the Brewers and the Cardinals wouldn't have a shot. So some of those things inoculate those teams against the, the overall realities of baseball's economics. But back to Ethan Strauss's point, um, the NBA tried to address that with the in-season tournament. The last game between the Lakers and the Pacers did well, but that was on ABC on a Saturday night, and they were lucky to get LeBron and the Lakers into it. By and large, those games, whatever the enthusiasm of the players was, whatever the level of play was, those games didn't draw television ratings much in excess of what the regular season always does. It's just hard to make stuff feel special in this world where we're being bombarded with all kinds of... Uh, of content. Now, when we get back to baseball, your local team may still be doing well. The Yankees may be doing well on Yes and the Red Sox on Nesson and the Cardinals on their network. But overall, as a national product, uh, it breaks my heart to say, but by and large, unless you got the Yankees against the Dodgers or uh, a once in a lifetime situation like the Cubs in the seventh game trying to break a century plus curse. By and large, baseball now would take for a World Series the ratings that the 4 o'clock game gets on a Sunday afternoon on Fox or CBS. They'd take that because they're not reaching it now in the World Series or the LCS. Mm. And, Bob, there's so much in that that's so interesting to me. You know, your point about there being just we're bombarded by so much content and the barrier for entry is so low and the world is so different now than it was when you and I first started to talk. And I'm not pushing back on that. It's just, it is what it is. The world is different. Yeah. But when you look at it, Bob, there is so much noise. And I mean that literally and figuratively, it's really loud out here. Generally yeah. speaking, when we talk about content, what do you make of the proliferation of the so-called debate shows and all the debate segments within so many shows that have sprung up on seemingly every platform? platform what do you make of all that noise well you know and i'm not saying this to flatter you especially when you came on the scene you were distinctive because not just not just because of your thoughts but because of your delivery and the clever phrasing and everything else and i will see something like mad dog russo who's completely unique mad dog russo's wednesday visits with stephen a smith 
uh, on ESPN are must-watch TV. But that breaks through for 10, 15 minutes, whatever it is. I get it that these debate shows, even if some of the hosts have to be handsomely paid, the debate shows are overall cheap to produce. Uh, and they, I guess, appeal to a certain level. You know, you turn the, you turn the lights on um, and people are talking about certain things in sports. I guess it's harmless. Uh, you know, it just doesn't attract me, but maybe that's generational. And that doesn't mean that I don't occasionally stop on it if the subject is interesting or that I don't see people making good points. But there's so much stuff out there. At least if you get on ESPN or you get on FS1, not every fan is going to like each of those personalities or agree with everything they say, but they have to have some level of credibility. The, the worst of it, as you know, Romy, is the Internet. There is no credential required for entry. And more and more, especially with younger generations, unless they've taken serious courses in media literacy, they have, they have little ability to differentiate this is credible, this is not, this came from a place that I can trust and this did not, or it all just kind of blends together and you get that, I read someplace, I heard it someplace. And a lot of what's on the internet, and this is not a get off my lawn thing, I think it's a considered opinion. A lot of what's on the internet or the comments sections after something that does have some value, either a video or an article that someone's written, but the comment sections, a lot of that is just an idiot's echo chamber. I don't know what we can do about it, but uh, I wish that that some of the sites uh, that should be more credible. I'm, I'm talking about Twitter. I'm talking about a news site or a sports site. I wish they wouldn't treat Twitter as if it's a pew poll. Twitter is what it is. And even as everybody off the record shakes their head and says, boy, what nonsense or it's a hellscape. But then there'll be sites that will turn around and treat it as if it's a news source. So, so then you get fans upset with Jim Rome because 10 people on Twitter disagreed with Jim Rome and called you names. And these lazy bleeps can't do any investigation, can't make a phone call, can't report anything. They just aggregate stuff without using any discernment, even if they know better. And in some cases, I guess they don't. And then it just amplifies the the stupidity or the shallowness of it. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? This time, do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Grab instead a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper or Old Trapper Beef Jerky. It's tasty and tender. It's made from real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It goes wherever you go. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way, you can see exactly what you are buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Uh, you know, sports is not masterpiece theater. <laughs> Most of it's not on PBS or NPR. I get it. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be freewheeling. I hope that during most of my career, I've, I've had a good sense of humor about it and been irreverent about it. But there should be some care taken. The general quality and credibility matters. You know, the technology is not in and of itself good or bad. Uh, I may prefer to hold a newspaper in my hand with a morning cup of coffee, but that's generational. My kids may prefer to read it on their phone. What matters is what's the quality and what's the credibility. If it was good and someone wrote it on a piece of parchment paper with a quill pen, it was good. But if the person in the next house over 
did the same using the same utensils and it was a lie, it's still a lie. And I think we've lost our ability to discern there. And the algorithms on the, inter in, on the Internet keep feeding people what the algorithm has determined they want to hear, which tends toward you're going to get more clicks for stuff that's angry or uh, is, is negative. If I were to write a story, I wouldn't do it. But for the sake of argument, if I were to write a story, 10 reasons why so-and-so is an idiot, some prominent person in sports, we know that would get more clicks than if I wrote the most nuanced and well-considered appreciation slash critique of that person or situation. That's just the way it works. And the algorithms keep feeding it. That's the business model. They're never going to correct that out of principle. That's the business model. Uh, so I've, I've outlined the problem, but I'm not smart enough to know the solution. Boy, that is something else right there. I mean, I, I think about this all day, every day, Bob. Like, where do we fit in? How do we cut through the clutter? How do we do that without compromising ourselves? How do we do that? How do we maintain mm -hmm. relevance and importance without being that person, without writing that top 10 list? I mean, you're right. I don't have the answer either, although I think about it quite a bit. You know, your point about the embrace the debate where the debate shows and they're cheap to produce, totally agree. I have a question. Although... He had an incredible run. It was disappointing to see real sports with Brian Gummel come to an end. And again, I'm not saying get off my lawn either, but the guy did it no. for 29 seasons. My question to you is, do you still think that there is a financial commitment to produce a show like that and an audience for it, given all the radical changes you and I are now discussing? Yeah, I feel terrible about that, too, because real sports was, in effect, the 60 minutes of sports won a zillion journalism awards and deserved every one of them. But the landscape has changed even for a prestige boutique platform like HBO. HBO Sports was so fabulous in the day under Ross Greenberg and others. I was happy to be part of it in two different iterations, but they also had inside the NFL and they did it with intelligence. Uh, it was a good approach. It was a fun show, but it was also a thoughtful show. And then you had the shows that Bomani Jones did and the shows that I did, and especially Real Sports with Brian Gumbel, um, their documentaries. They used to crank out three or four sports documentaries a year, all of which were award-winning, entertaining, but also uh, historically and journalistically responsible. And there was an audience for that. You know, it was a subscription service. I don't know what it eventually became, but it used to be like 40 bucks a month to get HBO. But that also got you not just all this great sports programming. Maybe you're not a sports fan, but you did it for The Sopranos or for Curb Your Enthusiasm or for Bill Maher or John Oliver and all these other great shows that were unique to HBO. Now that model is changing. I'm not going to answer that. Uh, the phone is behind me and it's ringing. I apologize. Not at me. all. Not at all. <laughs> let, it, let it go. We'll, we'll talk through it. Um, you know, now the landscape is changing so much you think about HBO, they used to be unique or close to unique in some of what they produce, and they still produce a lot of quality, but you can also find similar stuff on Netflix and other outlets, and everybody's screaming, uh, not screaming, they're trying to cope with, um, with the new realities. And one of those realities apparently was that they can't justify from an economic standpoint continuing with a, sport, with a show like Real Sports. So essentially, except for Hard Knocks, and maybe the occasional uh, documentary that will not be produced by a sports division because the sports division doesn't exist anymore. HBO sh Sports has shut its doors, but it was a, a glorious run 
a, a run of quality and intelligence. And it'll be missed, at least by some of us. No doubt. So I've got to tell you guys about this. The other day, I come across a product that all of us should be carrying around. It's something totally different for fresh breath. It's an amazing product called Zellman's Minty Mouth. And I'm telling you, it's a game changer. If you're up in the grill with somebody else and you're making your case for whatever it is, make sure your breath is fresh. Zellman's cleans your breath in a way that other mints don't and can't because it's not just a mint. It's a functional breath freshener capsule that you swallow. Clinically tested against the toughest offenders like garlic and onions. You just pop two or three in your mouth. You suck the minty coating. Then you swallow the capsule for the confidence of fresh, clean breath, and it lasts for hours. This product is like nothing else you've ever tried. It fights bad breath in your mouth, and then it goes right down to your gut. This is the ultimate hack to get rid of coffee, garlic, or smoker's breath. You're going to like having the confidence of long-lasting fresh breath or your money back guaranteed. These folks will give you your money back. Not that you'll want it, but they will. They have free shipping if you order three packs or more. Trust me, you're going to want more, and nobody likes to pay for shipping. Go to Zellman's.com right now. That's Z-E-L-M-I-N-S.com right now. You'll get 15% off when you use my promo code ROAM. That's Z-E-L-M-I-N-S dot com. You have to use the code Rome to get your 15% savings. Do it now. So, Bob, you mentioned, because you mentioned Sopranos and Curb, let me ask you this. Sidebar, in terms of content, what is the last show, sports or otherwise, that you binge watched? You know, I don't really binge watch anything. I watched The Last Dance, and that was during COVID. There was no live sports. We're all kind of shut down at that point in the in the COVID experience uh but i watched it each sunday that it came on i didn't miss any uh there are shows 60 minutes you know it's an old school thing i i tape if i don't see them when it first runs i tape every uh 60 minutes i tape every bill maher i never miss bill maher um it's good for him that he gets flack from both sides of the aisle it shows that he's doing a good job uh he's a classic left of center guy who hasn't changed his position but he's calling out nonsense in the name of common sense, no matter where he finds it. So in a given show, he's lashing out at left and right, and he's doing it with, you know, with great humor. So I never miss Bill Maher. But in terms of binge watching, I think, you know what I did? My wife and I binge watched The Morning Show uh, with Jennifer Aniston, uh, again, during COVID, the first season. I think it was on Apple. Uh, and we binge watched that. Um, but, you know, if, if I ask my kids, they probably give me a list of a dozen things that they've binge watched, but I'm more old school, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you, Bob. Actually, that, I shouldn't have phrased that like that. I didn't mean binge watch so much as give me a show, but you answer the question. I'm like you. I don't. I don't binge watch anything. And yeah. I don't really watch shows. I, I never have more than one show at a time, if in fact a show. But I like to have a show if I can find one. Let me ask you. You. It's hard to envision your idol like okay let me rephrase this you've got broadcasters right now like me and we're trying to figure it all out and then you've got athletes mm -hmm. who go directly to their fans because they can they no longer need the yeah. traditional media i want to ask right. you about your guy your idol mickey mantle what mm -hmm. was it like i mean you did his you famously did the eulogy at his funeral what was it like to meet your idol and then as an adult become friends with your idol why did the mick mean so much to you it was an amazing thing. You know, it came out of a different era. Uh, there was a little bit of TV in the late 50s, early 60s. Most of it was in black and white. 
You followed baseball on the radio. It was the unquestioned national pastime. When I first began learning about baseball, the Dodgers and Giants had left for the West Coast. The Mets didn't exist. So the only team you saw and heard around New York, I grew up on Long Island, was the Yankees. And they weren't just any team. They won the pennant almost every year. Mickey Mantle was the best player in the American League. And there was something about him. He had star quality. It's one thing to have good stats. He absolutely had star quality. And then toward the end, um, he had a, a story that was sympathetic. You know, we didn't know until well after his playing days about the problems with alcohol, which he was candid about and which he talked about uh, with me in an extended interview on NBC when he came out of the Betty Ford Clinic. But we did know this part of the story, you know, son of a minor from Oklahoma. The dad dies when he's 19 or 20 years old. He spends his life trying to satisfy what he thought his dad wanted, which was to become not just a great player, but the greatest player of all time. And there are still old-time baseball players who say that there has never been a pre-steroid combination of pure power and speed uh, like Mickey Mantle, and that if he had maximized his potential, he might have become, in fact, the greatest player. I don't know. Willie Mays was a contemporary, and Willie is the best non-steroid player I've ever seen all around. But Mickey, at least at the plate, was close to him. And there, was, there were all the injuries and toward the end, even just in his early 30s, he's limping around. And so, as I said in the eulogy, thinking of it from the standpoint of a kid, uh, we knew what poignant was. We knew, the, we knew there was something poignant about Mickey Mantle before we knew what the word poignant actually meant. You know, there was, there was kind of a, a mythological quality to him, running out a home run through the lengthening shadows on a Sunday afternoon at Yankee Stadium with the monuments in the background. You know, the first time I went to Yankee Stadium when I was seven years old and my dad took me there, you could leave the ballpark. They let the fans leave the ballpark by way of the field. They opened up the bullpen gates and you could walk around the warning track. And when we got out to the monuments, which were on the field uh, in front of the flagpole, because it was 461 feet to straightaway center. And there were only three monuments then, Ruth Gehrig and their manager, Miller Huggins. You're seven years old. What else would you think? I thought they were buried there. I thought they were buried right there on the warning mm. track. And I was over, I was overwhelmed by the whole thing. I'm looking back toward home plate. A little kid can't even see over the mound and the wedding cake facade, the lattice work of the facade. This is a baseball cathedral. I started to cry. And my dad's trying to assure me that, yeah, they're dead, but they're not, they're not buried here. You know, I don't know if that happens even to a seven-year-old kid now because there's too much stuff out there. There was enough there was enough there that you could embrace it, but not so much that you were overwhelmed by it. There was distance. There was romance concerning it. So that's the way I felt about Mickey Mantle growing up. And then by luck and happenstance, we crossed paths. Tony Kubek, who was my broadcast partner in the 80s on the NBC Game of the Week, was Mickey's teammate on those pennant-winning Yankee teams. And he vouched for me. And so when I met Mickey, Mickey was extremely nice to me and we became friends and we had dinner and whatnot very often. Um, I saw a little bit of the worst of him when he'd had too much to drink and it made me cringe. Um, and I remember a night uh, with me and, sorry to drop a name, me and Billy Crystal, who also grew up on Long Island and also idolized Mickey. And the three of us are sitting around. And at one point, Mickey goes, shit. I did all this stuff and I don't remember half of it, but you little shits remember all of it. 
And, th- oh, and then he said to me afterwards, you know how sometimes a guy who isn't necessarily the most eloquent guy says something you could not possibly say better yourself? And he said to me subsequent to that, you know, all these people come up to me and they want a picture and they want an autograph. And sometimes I try to be nice, but maybe it's too much and I'm naturally shy. And none of it made sense to me. You know, why do they care so much? But when you two guys started telling me about your memories, I could put a name and a face to it. It wasn't just another person. It was you guys. And you guys made me understand all those thousands of other people. It's, that's kind of a poignant thing that at that late stage in his life, he came to that realization. And then, you know, his family asked me to do his eulogy. And I tried to do it from the perspective, not just of Yankee fans, but of anyone from that era. And it was so gratifying, Jim, that I got lots of letters. This was when people wrote letters. And I, I got thousands of letters uh, in the aftermath of the Mantle eulogy. And many of them just wanted to pour out their feelings about their own childhood memories of baseball. And a lot of them said something to this effect. I grew up a Tiger fan. Al Kaline was my guy. Or I grew up a Cub fan. Ernie Banks was my guy. But I got what you were saying about Mickey Mantle because that's how I would feel if Al Kaline passed away or if Ernie Banks passed away. So, you know, if, if I said something that resonated with people, then I guess it was good. Hey, now, the holidays are here. That's right, they're already here. Let Omaha Steaks take the guesswork out of gifting. Shop carefully curated gift packages that are guaranteed to make spirits bright all winter long. I love Omaha Steaks. I have been consuming them for years. What you want to do is go to omahasteaks.com, and you can save 50% off site-wide. Plus, when you use my promo code, Jim Rome, spelled as a single word, no spaces, at checkout, get an additional $30 off your order. It's like the best deal ever. Send tender, juicy, butcher's cut fillets, mouth-watering burgers, gourmet jumbo franks, or even easy-to-prepare meals that are ready in a flash. Omaha Steaks is ready to ship your order right away. So shop early, beat the shipping rush, and go to omahasteaks.com. Use my name as the promo code, Jim Rome. Remember, one word, Jim Rome. Do it at checkout. Sending Omaha Steaks is one of those oh-wow gifts. It's a gift that will be remembered with every unforgettable bite. Again, one of my favorite products ever. Order with complete confidence today, knowing that you are ordering the very best. Go to omahasteaks.com. Take advantage of 50% off site-wide, plus use the promo code JIMROME, again, as one word, no spaces, at checkout, and get that extra 30 bucks off your order. That's omahasteaks.com, promo code JIMROME. You know, Bob, I love words. I absolutely love words. I think poignant is an amazing word, and that perfectly describes everything that you just said. That was beautiful. That was actually beautiful. You know, you know, yeah, Romy, since it's a podcast, I'm taking the liberty. I'm not necessarily the most terse purple person in the world anyway, but I'm taking the liberty to go on at greater length, and I'm hope, 
I hope I'm not abusing the, the privilege. I love you for it. I and mean, this is why we do this, right? This is free form. This is long form. This is what this is for. This the, You and I can never, as many amazing conversations as you, you and I have had, we could never have this kind of conversation in the daily format. So absolutely nothing no. to apologize for, and I couldn't appreciate it more. You and I both know, right? There, there are no great interviews, just great conversations. And what I try and tell younger people who want to be in this thing, like anecdotally, you want stories. This is what you want, right? This is where the mm-hmm. best content is not people screaming at each other and manufacturing and contriving bullshit that I know they don't believe. Well, you know, look, again, uh, depending on someone's perspective, they look at this and they say, oh, this is a get off my lawn thing. But there's too much in the business of television now where people almost want a merit badge for making something shorter. Now, of course, you want to cut the fat out. And of course, you want something to be well paced. You want to take out the parts that might drag. But the idea that something, oh, we have this, it's automatically better if I can get it down to 248 than if it's 348. Oh, wait a minute. What if the context went out the, the, the window? Not just an additional story, or an additional point. What about the context of that point? Don't you get that? Don't you get that this conversation should have some texture to it? That's why I was so lucky. Uh, in the late 80s into the mid 90s to host the late night show on NBC after David Letterman, the later show, which wasn't a sports show, although we did have lots of sports figures on it. Um, And I don't think there's a program like that on the air, at least not on broadcast television anymore and hasn't been for a long time. One guest, no studio audience, uh, no bells and whistles, no sound bites. Tell us the story. Tell us about yourself. Tell us an anecdote. Make some interesting points, even controversial points, and we're not going to soundbite you. And once that show was on the air for a while, uh, and prominent people, I guess, had had a chance to see it, it was very flattering when a lot of them said, I don't do many talk shows, but I feel as if I can make my points here or tell my story here, uh, and I won't have to worry about what I say being upcut or not given its context, uh, the atmosphere of the show uh, doesn't demand uh, that everything be in primary colors. Um, you know, I, I really regret, one of my regrets is that I, I should have done that show longer, but I was commuting between St. Louis and New York and my kids were seven and four when I left it. Uh, and there was so much sports inventory that I was directly involved with on NBC. Something had to come off the plate. I couldn't still be doing it now. You know, I often say to people, hey, when I sat down with Bruce Springsteen or Paul McCartney or Smokey Robinson or Carol King or Darlene Love or whomever, yeah, I did research, but I knew it to begin with. I was organically connected to it. Could I interview Taylor Swift now professionally? Of course I could. But would I be connected to it in the same way? Of course not. So I couldn't have done it indefinitely. I did it for six years. I probably should have done it for 10 or 12. That's a regret. You know, Bob, I can appreciate that. The show is brilliant. I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to ask you about that show because it really was a brilliant show. So before I let you go, and I could do this all day long, I'm picking my spots, but I just want to follow up on that for a minute because when I think about you and I think about your influence and I think about what you've done, like for instance, when you talk about influences as a play-by-play announcer, you've brought up legends like Vince Scully and Marv Albert, but when I think about you as an interviewer, frankly, you're the best to ever do it, and it's such a significant part of your craft. Who were your influencers or influences as you were coming up in your formative years and what drew you to that aspect of the media? 
you know, I'd like to think I'm a reasonably well-rounded person. Uh, I love sports. I was immersed in sports for much of my life, uh, but I had other interests as well. I loved Dick Cabot. Uh, I like Johnny Carson a lot um, and can recite many of his bits, but there were many nights when I watched Cabot over Carson because he came, came at it in a different way. And he had people from all walks of life. Uh, the idea that you could sit with Norman Mailer and Gore Vidal for the better part of an hour, that's what Dick Cabot did. From a journalistic standpoint, I liked Ted Koppel uh, on Nightline. And on PBS, I liked Charlie Rose. I guess, I'm not comparing myself in quality, but I guess I'm a combination of, of all those different people. Uh, there was a guy on the radio for years and years named Gene Shepard. And what he did was he told stories for the most part. I guess he did interviews, but he also just told stories. But he told them so well. Garrison Keillor did that, too, on Prairie Home Companion. He told them so well that it was almost as if you were sitting around a fireplace listening to him tell the stories. Again, I'm not comparing myself to that, but a little bit of that, just like I've, I've never wanted to copy anybody. If you copy someone, you're just a pale Im imitation of them, but you can be influenced by them. Um, and one of the one of the proudest moments that I've ever had, uh, I happened to be in a restaurant and Dick Cavett was there uh, and we had met. We were acquainted. We weren't good friends or anything. And someone else, third party said, Dick, do you know Bob Costas? This is sometime in the 90s. Dick, do you know Bob Costas? And he said, know him. He's my illegitimate son. <laughs> I'm like, at that point, I was like on cloud. Dick Cavett thinks there's some linkage between me and him. Okay, I can die tomorrow. It's good. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved for only a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everybody feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service, as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. Oh, that's fantastic. That is fantastic. I was going to say, like, in terms, and you answered it for me, I was going to say in terms of later, like, my feeling is, Bob, every single interview counts. We prepare for every single interview as if it counts a great deal because they all do. But I feel like a few times a year, the stakes are just a little bit higher depending on who it is you sit down with. Sure. And I'm sure you had those moments. Before you go, I want to ask you this. Like, I've got an incredible appreciation, as I think most would, for my formative years and having to fight my way out of a small market in Santa Barbara mm -hmm. to get to a top 20 market in San Diego. It was very difficult. It was very challenging. And all those years were so rewarding and so awesome. I'm sure you remember your early days coming up as well, just as fondly. As an example, when you were going from Syracuse University to landing that job calling ABA games for legendary radio station KMOX in St. Louis, what do you remember most about those times? Well, I was really lucky because I didn't have to spend a whole lot of time, you know, trying to figure out my career. I just got lucky. Uh, 50 years ago, I got a job while still a senior at Syracuse University doing minor league hockey in the old Eastern Hockey League, uh, the Paul Newman Slapshot League. In fact, I knew guys who were extras in the movie, which was only a few years after that. Um, I did my first game in 1973 for 30 bucks a game and $5 a day meal money on the road. The first game was in Johnstown, Pennsylvania in October of 1973. 
And sometime during this season, my son Keith and I are making a pilgrimage to Johnstown because they still play in the War Memorial. The team has changed its name to the Tomahawks, but they still play in the War Memorial. Uh, and we're going to go back and watch a couple of minor league hockey games in the arena where I did my first broadcast half a century ago. But right after that, as you said, I was lucky enough to land a job at KMOX. And while the spirits of St. Louis didn't last very long, they didn't get in when the ABA was absorbed by the NBA, KMOX is one of the great radio stations in American broadcast history. Just a legendary station booming out 50,000 watts on given nights could be heard in 35 or 40 states and really a cradle of sports broadcasters. Joe Garagiola, Harry Carey, Milo Hamilton came through there. Of course, Jack Buck, who was the number one guy in that respect. Dan Kelly was the Doc Emmerich of his generation as a, as a hockey announcer. And more, Gary Bender was there. Joe Buck, of course, Dan Deardorff. I'm leaving people out. Uh, and to be in that surrounding, even though I'm a wet behind the ears kid and I had a little bit of ability, but it wasn't fully developed yet, you got better fast because of the influence of those around you and because you didn't want to drop the ball. You didn't want to be, you wanted to uphold the standard as, as best you could. Um, but once I got there, my thought really was, Jim, this is where I'm going to be for the rest of my life. I'll be at KMOX for the rest of my life. Uh, and then it just turned out that some CBS people noticed me because I was at KMOX and they, at age 24, and I looked like I was about 12, they gave me regional NBA games and regional NFL games. And from there, NBC noticed me and hired me full time in, in 1979. So, you know, I didn't really have a plan. I wasn't scratching and clawing. I was just lucky. But as they say, you know, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So it'd be falsely modest to say I was just lucky. I took advantage of the opportunities. When those opportunities came along, even the ones I couldn't have expected, like I was at NBC Sports and I was doing play-by-play -play of games. And then Brian Gumbel leaves for the Today Show. I'd never hosted anything in a studio, uh, television-wise. I'd never seen a teleprompter in my life. They said, you can do it. And I was really afraid that I couldn't. But they convinced me. Uh, a lot of anxiety the first season on the NFL. In fact, I never used a teleprompter for the first four or five years. I just used notes on an index card. And then after that, they get the NBA in the Jordan era. And then they get all the Olympics. So I'm hosting all that stuff. There was no plan, no politicking for it. It just kind of happened. But when it landed in my lap, at least I didn't screw it up. Now I'll say, so on that thought, Bob, I, I should walk you off on that, but because you let you mentioned the Olympics, can you just reference this uh -huh. before you go? We're heading to 2024, which is going to bring the Summer Games to Paris. Of all your achievements, yeah. the way you handled the Olympic broadcasts will always stand out to me. How intense was the prep for each Olympic Games, and how grueling was the broadcast schedule itself? Very intense, but it became less intense when I realized, and some of this came from advice uh, from Jim McKay, he told me that the Olympic host, the primetime host, has to be a good generalist and know, obviously, the history of the Olympics, the background of the host city and nation, the primary storylines, but you don't have to know every platform diver for Peru. That's for the people at the venue. The first couple of Olympics I did, I was like pulling an all-nighter every night for months trying to memorize all this stuff or at least become familiar with all of it. 
And then when I learned that I could step back and take more of an overview, then it became less anxiety provoking. And also because the first couple of them, 88 in Seoul and 92 in Barcelona went well. So you get your sea legs and you begin to feel more comfortable. And you also realize that you have so many capable people around you, not just producers and directors, but the researchers are incredible. So if something happens that you're not familiar with, they can get you the cliff notes quickly. And then one of the little skills you have to have is to be able to look at something, take that briefing and turn it into a narrative pretty quickly. It's a knack that you have to have if you're hosting the Olympics. I think Mike Tirico certainly has that knack. We're different in some respects, but, but Mike has tremendous broadcasting skills. So I think NBC did well in, uh, when we passed the baton to have Tirico be the guy that received it from it. I agree. I agree with you, Bob. Listen, I cannot, I can't thank you enough for the friendship. I can't thank you enough for the relationship. I can't thank you enough for making as much time today as you always have for all of our platforms. What can I say, Bob? Nothing but love and respect. That was absolutely awesome. And I have such respect for your time and for you as a person. So thank you so much for doing that. That was absolutely incredible. Right back at you, Jim. Happy holidays, and I hope to see you in 24. U.S. Cellular wants to help everybody get the gift of connection this holiday season. Already a customer? This applies to you, too, because right now, new and current customers can get any phone, and I mean any phone, for free. Yes, really free. Sounds like it's time to make the switch. Spread holiday cheer far and wide this season with a new phone. Everybody can get the gift of connection at U.S. Cellular. Get any phone free today. U.S. Cellular, built for us. Terms apply. Visit uscellular.com for details i'll say it once again as somebody who's been in this business for decades i have to say there is nobody and i mean nobody like bob costas never has been never will be he is such an icon and is frankly just incredible to talk to he has accomplished so much he has seen so much and he is so incredibly skilled at communicating it just does not get any better than that nobody better than bob costas and i'm so thankful that he made the time to stretch out and i really hope that you all enjoyed that as much as i did because i just had the time of my life that was amazing and that's coming from somebody that has known bob for years and done numerous conversations with him and i have never had a greater appreciation for him than i do right this second this is what it's all about right here a conversation like that is exactly why this podcast exists in the first place. This is why I'm still pumping out brand new apps every single week, and this is why it's worth it for you to double back and hear any of the 292 episodes that we've already cranked out. This is why you should always be aware every time a brand new episode drops. In fact, if you subscribe right now, you will automatically be notified every time a new one does go out. So definitely consider finding and then smashing that subscribe button. Thanks ahead of time for doing so, and I will catch you for our next episode next week, which happens to be episode 294. See you then.